You are listening to You've Got Five Options show, where every week Marta and Anna abandon their five children, two partners, and one cat to make a show especially for you. An artist, a challenge, a bullshit, a wisdom, and a surprise. Tune in and feel the magic of fire. Hello everyone, this is Marta. And I'm Sine. And this is You've Got Five Options show. And surprise, surprise, there's no Anna, right? Yeah, that's a big miss that Anna is not present here in the studio. And she misses being in the studio so much that she has actually made a quite a long recording so that we can feel her presence here. Before we do that, I will just introduce uh, what are we doing here and why Sineden and not Anna and who else we have here. So it's full of surprises and it feels like it's a really beautiful, very important show to have today. So first of all, I wanted to tell you that Sine is here today with us. You might remember her from previous shows. Uh, we've had her several times before on You've Got Five Options, and we've had heard her singing and sharing her poetry and, in general, her courageous heart with us uh, before, her vulnerability, her talents. And uh, Sina has a little dream to become a podcaster, and since Anna couldn't be here today because of uh, ill baby Gabby, I uh, proposed uh, Sina to test drive her dream and uh, meet me here today as a co-host. Thank you, Marta. Thank you. I really so much. appreciate it. It's uh, we've and been Anna, of course. <laughs> <laughs> and we've been doing a couple of shows together already today for the other podcast, Small Business Rising. And now we are doing together, you've got five options. And with us, we have another friend of the show, Fatima. Hello. Hi, Marta. Hi, Sina. And Fatima has also graced us with her presence on the show, actually on three different episodes before. And one of them is Universe Falls in Love with Courageous Heart. And then two episodes on how to make captivating presentations. And today we have an absolute honor and I'm deeply touched with your courageous heart, uh, Fatima, for joining us here to talk about moving through grief. It is definitely not an easy topic. And thank you so much for agreeing to join us here. And uh, Anna has also wanted to welcome you so warmly here, even though she did not, she was unable to be here physically. So let's give a voice to Anna. And dear listeners, it's going to be uh, a 17 minutes recording. So uh, we will be back in around 17 minutes talking to Fatima together with Sine 
on moving forward through grief. Well, hello everyone. This is Anna recording to you this message, not from the studio, as you probably realized. I am home again. If you are our uh, regular listener, you know that this has happened already two weeks ago when I couldn't join as my uh, younger daughter is sick and I have to stay home with her. And unfortunately, or fortunately, well, depending how you look at it, her dad um, is our radio technician. So it's always one of us that can come to do the show. And as we, for the time being, don't have a replacement for him, uh, it's me who's staying home. But I decided to record this message. So I'm kind of here, but not really. Uh, to tell you a couple of things before you will dive into the interview with Fatima. Uh, first of all, Fatima, thank you so much for being here. Um, I know how much courage and uh, I don't even know how to call it. It's It's remarkable what you are doing, I do have to say. And I know it very well because I have myself carried a quite deep... Uh, wound and, and pain that I wasn't able to share with, uh, anyone except of my close fr- friends. Well, I guess until now. Um, because I think it's time I will, I will explain why this particular show that I cannot join is so important to me. Um, as you know, uh, I hope you know, again, a message to our regular listeners. I have two daughters and one of them is a toddler now, Gabriela. She's 16 months uh, already. Wow, the time flies so fast. And Gabriela came to this world with uh, quite a complication. Uh, I had a difficult labor um, and unfortunately she got locked in my birth canal and when she was finally um, pulled out actually to this world she was not breathing mm. she was not breathing for from what I've heard because for me this situation was so surreal she was not breathing for two minutes and she was reanimated in front of me and in front of Dave. That's an experience I wouldn't wish to anyone, to to any parent in this world, but I've been through it. And I have to say that it didn't hit me at the beginning. It hit me only after three days. I remember when they finally brought her back to life. And she started to cry. They took her out from from the room with her dad, thank God. And I was just laying down there and they were trying to fix me up. Although this is too generous uh, description because you cannot just fix up a woman after uh, uh, giving birth just like that. But I remember that 
I didn't even talk about this with the with the nurses. We were just talking about some stupid things. And only after half an hour, I mastered the courage to ask, everything is okay, right? Because if it wouldn't be, they would tell you. You would tell me, right? And the nurses answered, yes, of course. If we don't hear anything, it means everything is okay. And after an hour, I was brought back uh, to my daughter. When I saw her for the first time, clearly saw her for the first time, it was the most beautiful yet the most heartbreaking thing ever. I remember seeing her laying down and sleeping on her dad's uh, belly. I guess that was one of those moments when Dave really regret he didn't went to the gym because he had to take his shirt off. And she was laying down on him and holding his finger. I remember that very well. And she had all this kind of equipment, these tubes uh, coming into her nose, delivering her oxygen. And it was so heartbreaking to, to see a little baby coming to this world already with all this life support system on her. Uh, thank God after six hours, she didn't need any of it. And I remember first 72 hours, I was just, you know, in a grind, nursing, carrying her around, holding her, putting her to sleep. We were all the time in a hospital, of course. And only at the third day, when we went for uh, some examinations, uh, the doctor said, well, I can see in your file that you had a difficult delivery. And at that moment, I remember I just burst into uncontrollable crying. I was just crying like I never cried before. It just hit me. It just hit me what happened. It just hit me that my daughter was not alive when she was born and, and they were fighting for her. And I remember I was offered all the help. I needed to cope with this. I was. I have nothing bad to say about uh, Danish uh, medical system here. They were offering me psychological consultation and help. But I remember they told me, the nurses, they told me and the doctor, you have to talk about this. You have to talk about this. Don't stay with this alone. Don't hold it in you. So I talked about this. I talked about this with with Dave, with Marta. I talked about it with my close friends, basically with all the people that were close to me and wanted to listen. But I was never really able to share this story on a forum, which is weird because I'm a radio host and a writer. And that's how I usually deal with trauma and with, uh, with difficult situations. I just share it. But I wasn't able to. This is the first time. Of course, there is way more to this story and there are more details, but I don't think they are relevant for you to hear now. Why I share it is that there are two things that came to my mind when I was thinking about it. And when I was thinking about today's show that deals with a loss and grief and probably also to a certain extent, pain and fear. 
the first thing that came to my head was that dealing with a situation like this um, will eventually makes you stronger. I can see now in my life how this situation affects me. It affects me until today and probably it will affect me until the last day of my life. Every time Gabriela shows any sign of sickness, I feel inner panic because I was close to lose her once. That is an experience that is very new to me because I had never had problems like this or challenges like this with my first daughter, Alexandra, who came to this world very easily and and I never had a situation when I thought I would lose her. So this stays with you forever in some extent. Your task is to figure out how to make it into your benefit or how to convey it into a strength. So every time when Gabriela is ill or I feel like I will panic, I allow myself to feel this feeling and then I remind myself why I feel like this and I try to be strong for her. Because I know that my panic and my anxiety and my wound will not help her getting better. We parents have this very difficult task of being cornerstones for our children, also on an energetical level. So it's very difficult to cope with your own negative emotions and trying not to affect your child. And that's what I have to learn <clears throat> every single day now. You know, there is a, there is a very interesting metaphor for your wound, the wound that you carry with you. And that's the, the metaphor of Chiron. I don't know if you know what Chiron is. According to the Greek mythology, Chiron was a centaur. So half man, half horse. And he was a very wise one, the wisest and the kindest of them all. He was also called the wounded healer, which is oxymoron. But the thing was, Chiron could heal anyone except of himself. And from the astrological point of view, there is a comet in our solar system that is named after Chiron. It's called Chiron. And it flies, I don't know, do comets fly? I guess they do. <laughs> or moves through certain zodiac signs on different intervals. And depending where Chiron was, in which zodiac sign Chiron was when you were bo born, uh, that's the symbol of your wound, your big, deep wound that you came to came with to this world. But that wound also represents an opportunity. That wound turned into strength is your greatest healing power. 
I will not go into astrological details regarding Chiron. By the way, if our listeners would ever like to know more about the innate wounds that we all carry, we can make a program about this. But I think Chiron also symbolizes uh, our personal wounds. Our greatest personal wounds are our biggest opportunities to heal others. Our biggest opportunities to turn something that is painful into our greatest strength. So wrapping up to Fatima today, that might be your Chiron, your greatest wound that might turn into your greatest strength and your greatest healing power. I think it's a beautiful myth. It's a beautiful story of Chiron, the wounded healer. And I do hope that you will look at it like this and and get your strength and grace because you have plenty of it to share your story and potentially heal others with it. I also have a short message for for everyone around because there was a second thing that came to my mind. And that thing was that the the year we are living in, the 2020, it's probably one of the hardest years that we have ever been through for many of us, especially the younger uh, crowd. And... Uh, I think it feels very heavy and very messy and very anxious. But I believe that it's a natural path towards something new. It's like when you are trying to renovate your kitchen. If someone been through this, then you know what I'm talking about. In order to build your new kitchen, you have to destroy the old one. You have to rip off all the old furniture and probably break some walls and you are left with a huge mess and gravel and parts laying down everywhere. And I guess everyone who ever went through any renovation process have these moments of thinking, what the fuck have I done? I cannot do it anymore. I don't want it. It's too messy. It's too tiring. Just I don't want it. But that's natural. You need to go through this mess to build something new. And I think 2020 is exactly that. It's a mess we have to go through to meet something new and something better. The last six to eight weeks that we will go through right now might be the hardest we have seen this year yet. But it's the same like with giving birth, going through that birth canal. We are now in the most narrow part of it. And that's always painful, uncomfortable, messy and scary. But there is a light at the end of a tunnel. And sometimes we don't even have to fight that much. Because just like when we are coming to this world, it's the force of our mother. It's her push that allows us to move forward. Of course, we can help her. By the way, that's the message to all the babies. Help your mom. But we can also do a lot of things not to help. We can try to resist 
we can try to put ourselves in a different position uh, as a baby and so on. You know what, how it works. It's not always that easy. And maybe sometimes the easiest thing is to let go. Allow yourself to be moved by the natural forces of this world and this universe. And maybe that's what we all have to do. And keep a good energy and optimistic mind. Because there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Just as there is a light at the end of the vagina for a little baby. So please, hold on. Let go. Well, don't hold on to the bird canal. But hold on mentally. It can get tough, but it will get better. Fatima, I look so much forward to hear your voice and your story. Once again, I'm very sorry I couldn't be here. Sina, uh, all the luck with co-hosting the show today. I am absolutely sure that you will do a great, fantastic job. But uh, don't do it too well, because otherwise Marta will replace me. <laughs> I'm joking. Uh, all the best. You will do great. And Dave, uh, our wonderful technician and my life partner, uh, please buy what tissues on the way home because we are running out. Thank you, everyone, for listening to my voicemail. Have a fantastic show. And hopefully we will hear each other next week. Bye-bye. Thank you, Anna, so much for um, stepping into your courage and your vulnerability and for sharing your story. I was uh, waiting and holding for you uh, throughout those 16 months, waiting for you to be ready to share that whenever you were ready for it. So I'm very touched and very happy that this time has come for you to be ready to do that and um, and sincere, deep gratitude towards you for opening your heart and opening this space here for us on the radio. And I will just uh, allow uh, Fatima and Sina to say your words of your impression of what you've heard. Thank you so much, Anna. It was um, an honor to listen to, and I appreciate it so much. And I just want to acknowledge what an amount of courage it takes to to share uh, a wound, to share our wounds, and to to share it with the world. Um, and. I hope that many find inspiration in your courage. Yeah. I wonder if you're listening to us right now, Anna. But uh, yeah, I, I, you left me speechless. Um, I kind of kept anticipating. I hadn't heard your message until now. And I can't think of a better way for me to find courage, strength to do what I, what I said yes to. Um, yeah, because I think I remember when I was even asked, when I was invited to come on this show, I hesitated because, I mean, who, 
who um how to how does one find courage to talk about something like this and why so my first reaction was like but wait a second i'm not like an expert on this so i'm not sure i can give anybody advice i'm figuring this out myself but i think just the fact just the fact that you took that courage to come and share your story the way you did right now i i just feel enormously grateful and uh, you've just empowered me so much you have no idea so i just love you a lot and i thank you thank you in a big way so it all happens for a reason and uh, the decision whether anna or dave should be here today uh, has been a tough one uh, to decide and then whether to play that audio without anyone hearing it first <laughs> or whether to go with the flow of the show as planned it has all been a part of a larger plan and i will tell you that i have taken the decisions with my heart because my mind had different things to say <laughs> uh, but I have decided to take that decision with my heart and that's uh, that's what it came all down to, each of those decisions. So thank you once again, Anna. And now we will start moving towards uh, you, Fatima. So Fatima, I will ask this very hard question and um, and you take your space, take your time and answer however it feels right to you. So tell us about what has actually happened over six months ago for you in your life. So I think 2019 was this most beautiful year where I was expecting. And uh, me and my husband were anticipating the arrival of our son, um, whom we very fondly called Bumblebee, <laughs> while he was in the womb and it was a very very beautiful very graceful um uh, un like absolutely beautiful pregnancy um all nine months of having no issues no struggles absolutely a very smooth ride with like a lot of gratitude to how everything was just falling in place and everything was going well and um, my son um was supposed to arrive on the 28th of february very eagerly waiting because he was our first child and um i think it so happened that he liked staying inside too much and i understood later why because i think he he stayed inside for 10 more days and i was just exploding um couldn't wait any longer to meet him but it had he had to come when he had to arrive and he did and that happened on the 9th of march uh while i was at the hospital again it was uh my first experience with this enormous experience that you go through of uh, delivering and giving birth to a baby uh my husband arun standing right next to me every second of it and we went through that whole ride <laughs> and however hard it is however painful it is uh like somebody said that it is probably one of the best pains in the world because it's the only pain that actually has l promises you a beautiful end and i think that's probably the only motivation that keeps you going that makes you want to never give up on a pain like that 
and uh, it is definitely worthwhile because we did get to experience this most magnificent moment that i and arun felt blessed experiencing of becoming parents when he came to the world and he was incredibly beautiful um but i think it was yeah after he took birth that it was unfortunately found that he was again struggling to breathe and i can absolutely picture it as anna was describing her feeling of how that feels as uh, she witnessed and she and dave witnessed gabby going through something similar um i had a normal birth um and no painkillers so i was in my motherhood bliss uh thinking everything was fine and my son was here and nothing could nothing else could come in the way but uh i think him not breathing meant that um he unfortunately had to be taken away and he immediately had hands of many 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 caring and very capable doctors and i don't think i was that conscious but i think my my husband was way more aware of i think what was going on but it turned out that our son was really fighting for his life because he just couldn't breathe and a lot of these doctors really 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 worked their best to help him stabilize and start breathing as much as they could uh we could just see that they were trying their best and my son was trying their best but we were just hopeful and we were thinking that yeah something like this happens we've heard people do have some issues of course newborns are extremely delicate it's such a new world for them suddenly coming out of the womb it must be hard like how can we empathize what that experience must be but you you really hope that it'll get over um but it was after a few hours of constant struggling that i think we were finally told uh that he was unstable uh and what we what the doctors found that he had a congenital diaphragmatic hernia it's cdh uh but in layman's term he had a hole in his diaphragm and what meant th- what that meant was that the organs from his stomach had made their way into his chest and which means his right chest was completely filled with his intestines when they did an x-ray so he practically had one lung and babies already struggle a lot because their lungs are under underdeveloped and they develop over time but uh yeah how how would our son survive with like one lung and um the absolutely only chance of surviving for him was he needed he needed like very special natal care which was unfortunately not available at the hospital we delivered him because the condition was undetected through the entire span of the pregnancy so nobody nobody expected nobody could foresee what's coming not us not the doctors not anyone and that meant that the team had to come from the hospital in odensa they really tried hard to stabilize him but if there was absolutely any chance of him surviving um it was to take him there and give him the intensive care over there and stabilize him and then do a surgery on him and i think in that situation unfortunately you are just helpless you are just powerless if there's anybody who can do anything in that situation that can save your loved one is the right doctors 
and you let go <laughs> because you have to in that moment. And our son was taken from calling to Odinsa in an ambulance. Unfortunately, we couldn't join him. So I was taken to that hospital separately in another, another vehicle. And my husband uh, was driving there with a set of friends. So it was that situation where we were all separated, me, my husband, and my son. And when we arrived to Odinsa, separately, all three of us, yeah, when we reached there, me and my husband found that unfortunately our son didn't make it. And uh, so he was born at 5 p.m. And it was at 10 p.m. that he was declared as uh, uh, that he did not survive. Um, so I think in a matter, in a difference of five hours, me and my husband experienced the biggest joy one can experience and the biggest sadness that a human can possibly go through. And I think that's, that's, that's the story or that's what happened. Thank you so much for sharing that story. And um, it's a really powerful thing to do, to share your story. And I can, uh, you can probably hear that in Fatima's voice as you are listening. But we are also sitting here and looking at Fatima. It takes a lot to share that. And uh, before we started the conversation, we set that intention for it to be a part of your healing. And, uh, and I can feel that healing happening here. And, um, so that 10 p.m., that moment mm. where you find out that your baby mm. has not made it, what was happening with you then? I think I was, um, I think just moment of feeling absolute shock. I don't, I, I cannot describe it in human words what that feeling is. Feeling of absolute shock, numbness. You just don't understand uh, what happened, what's going on. Um, yeah, you, you, it's just not humanly possible to even compute something like that. Um, so you're in that moment and you are kind of partly aware of what just happened. And there are so many parts of you that simply don't understand what's going on. But that's how it is. I don't. No, or I can't imagine it being any other way. It was just a devastating feeling. You feel absolutely gutted. Um, it feels like a time where time, space, everything just stops. You're, you're like in a no gravity space. You just don't understand absolutely what's going on. Um, there is sadness, there is loss, there's all of that. But actually in that moment, uh, it's just inconceivable actually. You you don't know. You just don't know what's happening to you in, in that time. I don't remember. I, I'm not sure I can describe what that feeling was. Yeah. Thank you. You have done an amazing 
work for describing something that is absolutely inhuman and yeah. unconceivable. So uh, I think as good as it gets, <laughs> you have uh, you have done it. Did you get an opportunity to hold your baby and to say goodbye to him? Um, while he was alive, it was unfortunately just a very brief contact with his hand and no more. But we then had the evening or the night to just spend with him, both me and my husband. And we we were in the care of a very, very loving nurse. And I, I can't imagine <laughs> like what it takes for humans who have to do that job, that person who just took care of us in that room, leaving just me, my husband with our baby for us to just spend that night uh, with him. Um. Yeah. What did that mean for for the two of you? I think it was hard. It was really hard because you wanted to do everything you would do with a live baby. But you couldn't help realizing that you, it it was also very visible, you know, when 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 somebody has left their body, it also with time uh you realize and I think we just felt like the more and more we wanted to continue um spending time with him the way we would do normally i think we also felt that it was just affecting his body his <laughs> his physical body so we tried to hold him as much as we can and we tried to give him a fresh pair of clothes <laughs> try to hold him to our skin as much as we could um but after that it was just this feeling that we need to let him rest It was just that feeling that okay, we this cannot be just about us trying to get everything we want from him. Let let's give him rest. So it was just letting him rest and just being there, that space. It was a very long night, but it'll also be the most uh, memorable, <laughs> the most precious night we've ever had. So you've had the opportunity to spend a little bit of time with uh, him and even though his soul was not present in his body uh, anymore yeah maybe it was just around there with you yeah and how 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 incredibly unexplainably difficult it might yeah. be to uh, even think this way you did feel that you needed yeah. to let go and let him rest Yeah. So tell us about the coming days. I think um it was really hard to leave him behind at the hospital where he had to be kind of, you know, kept in a place where he could be preserved. It was exactly the time that COVID hit and suddenly like preparing for, you know, even like the practical things that need to happen like funeral and ceremony and all of that, like it just felt like it was just such a crazy time. Um, but we had to come back home empty-handed. Um, I had my in-laws with me, my husband's parents, and I, I'm very grateful for their presence. It was extremely hard to come back home uh, without him in our hands. And I think knowing that he was like, you know, his body was still around, but that it was not with us, it was not in our hands. I can't even begin to describe what that means for parents to experience and go through 
um, because his funeral was then scheduled seven days later. That was the day when we could have seen him one last time before giving our final goodbyes. And um, in those days, I don't know where and how, but my husband and I sat down and wrote him letters. It was the only way we could like connect connect with him and you know say him everything we wanted to so we just kept writing him uh like just words i don't know there it it nothing felt sufficient like how do you write that letter how much would you write on that letter where will you find words i just couldn't begin but i think we both tried to do that and then 7 days later when we met him in the morning um he looked incredibly beautiful and incredibly fresh it was unbelievable because he looked much more fresh than we had left him in the hospital and i don't know how that happened i it might sound like you know it's just wishful imagination and i'm making this up but it it was undoubt it was undoubtful that he looked so much fresh he just looked like he was this beautiful baby fast asleep but there was this amazing amount of peace and light and wisdom around him and i think my husband described it the best where he said that um that he put up his best version forward like to kind of you know help his parents give them strength that you know what look i'm i'm fine you know don't worry about me um and then we just spent like one hour with him in the morning uh i i did wish to sing him a lot of songs the only song that i somehow found courage to sing him that day was tears in heaven by eric clapton and uh, then we had a very very beautiful ceremony at the church with very close friends and colleagues but very few of them because covid did not allow us to go more a number and then back to the graveyard uh where we had uh the burial for him and uh we gave him a resting place which is not very far from home so we still visited we visited it every single day for the f- for 4 months and we still continue to do like at least two times a week um yeah me and my husband are both designers uh and i can say that for probably every designer in the whole world that designing his tombstone was the most difficult project uh one can ever have i don't think any any task or project can feel more difficult than that yeah and i think what is beautiful is we did get to name him and his name was His name is Kyla Ayan Motta and um, yeah I hope we did everything we could to just give him the most beautiful and loving goodbye we could thank you for sharing that with us here I remember that we spoke uh, many times since uh, Kyler passed and I just remember one of the things that felt so um difficult was uh, how you described how your body yeah was reacting in this first period 
Yeah, I think um, it's so, un- and again, I give credit to nature because how incredible it is, right? Like how it designs us uh to prepare for something like this, to go through something like this. I never knew I had it in me to become a mother, to actually deliver a baby, to have it in my physical body, the simple capacity to do something like that. Uh, and there's a lot of hormones going through. Your body has gone through a lot of things. But I think most importantly, it was so confusing for my biology, for my body to understand why is my baby not in my hand? Like what's happening? And it was like literally waking up at odd hours at night and the whole body is shivering. I mean, my mind can kind of, you know, still try and become aware and understand what just happened. But your body is just like an animal body, right? So it, there's so many things in conflict. There's your physical biology. There's your mind who's trying to like really even begin to figure out what just happened. And your soul, that's just a whole different level of uh, searching that happens at a different level. So it's at so many different levels. But biology is definitely something you cannot ignore. You can maybe fool your mind for a little time, but biology is just out of your control. So your body was missing your baby. Yeah. And it was very giving you very yeah. strong signs. Absolutely. Yeah. So how, because what comes to my mind is that these first days, weeks, months, it sounds like a survival. It doesn't sound like a <laughs> life, really. No. It sounds like a survival. Yeah. So how, how did you survive? I think when every, when anyone tried to reach out to us, I think the first thing they would say that is like, we can't imagine what you're going through. <laughs> like, you, nobody can simply imagine what you're going through. And to be honest, I have the same answer. I couldn't imagine what I'm going through because who, who has that idea? Like, who knows how to go through something like that? How to survive after something like that? Um, I didn't and I still don't know, to be honest. But, uh, if I'm surviving this, if I have survived the six months later, I definitely have a lot to be grateful for. And I think there were several, several things that helped us. One, because we had my in-laws, my husband's parents who had come to actually join us. And having them around and, you know, them keeping strength kind of helped us have a routine. And I give a lot of credit to my husband because he would just take himself to the garden. And we worked so much on our garden And we just felt so grateful that we had that in our backyard. Like, you know, you didn't have to go far. You just had to go there. And I think nature and connecting to the ground and earth had just such a... I think that was the only thing that would probably be able to absorb our energy and emotion, nothing else. It was unbearable to be in your own body. And I don't have any other better words of describing that. You imagine not being able to bear being yourself being in your own body, like where will you run away from that? What would you do? Uh, garden had a very big, the garden had a very, very big role. It was COVID times. So that means that <laughs> it was also hard for people to reach us the way they would like to. But I think that didn't keep people from giving a lot of love and showing their love for us. For three weeks, 
I had friends delivering food outside my door every night. So it was like a well-oiled machine where they had coordinated um, helping us. I I um, had a lot of support from our workplace. A lot of our colleagues wrote very endearing messages for us, made a book that was given. We had flowers at our doorstep every single day with like lots of messages and love coming from all over the world. Um, but the way to survive, I mean, it's also like, I think I can now look back and say that we also reached out for help. And I'm so, I'm so glad that we did. And I don't know where and from where, from where we were getting the energy or strength for that either. And I think help of all different kinds, right? Like, I think it'd be very hard for me to point out that one thing that saved us. I think there are many of those special things that saved us. So it's a sum of many things. One of those things is, of course, you know, you need a medical medical answer for this. So we had to go back to the doctor. And I'm so appreciative of how brave it is of them to actually be willing to face people like us and be willing to sit and have a dialogue as to why happened, what happened, what could they have done, etc. You need You need a bit of a closure on that. I think secondly, of course, we got help from psychologists. It's like mainstream mental health help. Uh, help. But I'm so appreciative of how much that help, helped my mind. For me, that was not enough. So I'm so grateful to have friends like Martha, who has helped me through conscious healing. Because, I mean, your body and mind alone can't deal with this. There's so much that happens at the soul level uh, that I think I have had Martha. And then through Martha, I have met a lot of other beautiful human beings, healers. And... There's just so many friends. There's Rasmus and Sina and my friend Martin and a lot of these people who have played like very, very significant role in just being there. I have a lot of friends and colleagues who have gone enormously out of their way helping us in this time. One of the biggest things against me was I have still not met my family. I have not met my dad, my siblings and my extended family till date because of COVID and I still don't know when I can see them. And unfortunately, I also lost my mother three years back. I think I cannot, I couldn't have imagined that I would survive this. One, without having my mother and second, without having my own family. But I have survived this and I have received, both me and my husband, we have received so much help. Uh, and I think we've been open to that help. And I think I give ourselves credit for that. But one more thing that has absolutely effectively helped us was a grief group, again, an association that's out there, but they reached out to us and they connected us with other parents who, to our surprise, also had the misfortune of losing their beautiful children. And I think the empathy that you find over there, because it's such an experience that I wouldn't know how to talk to somebody going through this because it's just unimaginable what it must feel like. But when you find other people who are going through something very similar, I think the way you can relate to them and the, how much strength you can give each other is just nothing can replace that space. So I think the point I'm making is that it's so many of these individual things that have helped us. And I give a lot of credit uh, to my husband and also how we both 
it was hard because both of us are also different personalities individuals we both have our own ways of coping and i think it was also such a big lesson to understand that 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 each of us has our own way of dealing with these things and learning to give space to each other but at the same time being there for each other it has just been an enormous learning uh in the past 6 months and i feel it's just the beginning and uh, as this is a live show and uh, it will need to be uh, closed at um in a- around eight minutes i just wanted to let everyone know who is listening to us on the radio that there will be a continuation of this conversation on our podcast so if you want to find it please go to the5options.com and now i would like to give uh, everyone an opportunity for sina to share something with us on grief so um to have a beautiful way to wrap it up at least the radio part of it and everyone after that we will continue moving through grief because now we've only gone through the survival <laughs> part of it and we would love to invite you to hear about moving forward through grief after that so sina are you ready to read something for us I'll try. <laughs> Let's be honest. <laughs> no, I'm ready. Um I just wanted to take a minute to breathe and for anyone listening to allow yourself to just close your eyes and breathe and and I want to thank you Fatima for sharing your story your grief with us and with me um it leaves me speechless and i'm honored and i will read this to you i wrote it a few years ago it's called on water and grief 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 has a way of bringing you to your knees again and again without warning a wave crashing in cracks your heart open like sand exposed by the gentle touch of the aftermath of silent waves that comes after the tsunami leaves you open raw cleansed completely surrendered and it whispers in your ear look at you look at you how beautiful you have become see how you survived yet another wave sharp edges on rocks water water made you soft it made you gentle and water from your tears streaming through your body all the way down to your feet and back again passing through trauma of your ovaries your place of birth of life of creativity your womb 
passes right through the four chambers in speed of lightning, up through your throat, cleanses, speaks the truth until it lands on your eyelashes with thousands more to come. That water is heaven-made holy, and it flows into the sea of women coming before you, to you, and through you. Bring them to the sea and show them, show them softness, show them rawness and wilderness. Show them the beauty of everything we keep underneath. Because as above, so below, what you keep hidden will come to surface. The beauty of your shadow will always emerge, will always seek the truth within you. Light will always penetrate you, like water making its way through mountains, one drop at a time. So I dare you, darling, be the fountain for the water to pour through. Dive in. Dive in deep, and I will hold you when you weep. And listen. Yes, I will listen when you're ready to speak. Thank you. Thank you so much, Sina. That is really beautiful. Yeah, that was amazing. And I know it comes from a place of having... Having been there, so thank you. It means a lot. It's, I, I have no words. It's, I just find in all of this, like how the universe works, I don't understand. But I know that there is beauty in, in everything, even in the, in the darkest darkest moments and uh, now we are in this uh, moment where we have less than two minutes left for the radio uh, program to run out and I will use this opportunity to thank uh, Anna for sending her yeah. voice message and for your story Anna thank you Fatima for your absolutely courageous and vulnerable sharing on the absolutely indescribably inhuman pain that you have gone through and you Sina sharing this beautiful poem that you have written from your heart and shared it here and to all our listeners we will continue our conversation after that and it will be released on Tuesday at you can find the information at the5options.com or at any podcasting application if you look for you've got five options spotify itunes wherever podcasts go you will be able to find it there and just a brief goodbye for now so we are back uh, here in the studio with Sine co-hosting and also sharing her beautiful talent with her beautiful poem and Fatima sharing her amazingly courageous heart uh, 
with us and me. <laughs> I'm here too. And Who is also a here. very courageous lady, <laughs> just to <laughs> And Dave is also that. here. I need to remember to buy wet wipes for the yeah. lady. Yeah. yeah, yeah. And I was here in spirit. I was very <laughs> present. I felt, really feel you, Anna. So... Mm. Yes, so we have uh, managed to go through the first part of the undescribable, unbearable experience after losing your baby. And uh, we will now move forward to the part where maybe the first moments of what we could call normality start coming back. Maybe you have the moments where you smile again every now and again and um, it starts to be better, less less horrible. <laughs> you start having those moments when, yeah, of hope, yeah. I guess. Uh, signs of things could be good again. Yeah. And, um, and then then you actually start going through what we call grief. So I, I was like, grief, that's such a, such a big concept. Let us spend a little bit of time with grief and actually what grief is. What grief is for you, Fatima? Um, it's a feeling that's, again, so hard to describe with your mind. Uh, because I think just from my own example, I don't think I understood what grief is until I experienced it. And when I talk to people, I think that's a very common thing that I hear from them. And when you know, when you know somebody who's going through it, you know, they exactly understand, or at least they understand a little bit of what that is. But I think it's important to know that like, you know, anger is anger and sadness is sadness and like happiness is happiness. Grief has so many interpretations and grief has so many uh, different forms and shapes and looks and they don't have to match person to person. And I think that's what makes this feeling of grief, while it might have one name, it has so many facets and stages and interpretations that we, we can think we know what what it it must be for someone to be in grief but we can only imagine it and i think that's what makes it so enormously powerful because it is so individual and it it can only come from a place of heart because there's no singular definition of it i don't think there is one if i would dare or if i would try to describe it i think a common definition in my opinion would be that it's that passage or it's that tunnel where you are learning, learning to practice love for the person who has left and teaching yourself to continue doing that for the rest of your life without their physical presence. So I think it's so misjudged as being in that phase where, you know, yeah, you go through that tunnel of pain and after that you will be on the other side. <laughs> and that was yeah, it's so not like that. I think it's just learning to live with something that's going to stay with you forever. That's my definition of grief. No, but a, a question just came up, like how you experience it also regarding your mother. Like, 
Yeah. Because prior, I would have thought of it as linear. Yes. But I experienced it, I don't know, cyclical. Yeah. <laughs> is How do you experience it? I think uh, it is definitely not linear. And there are so many, I have. I think after having come through this, I've come across so many talks and so many diagrams and so many theories and so many like stages that people talk about. And it's very interesting how so many people have tried, attempted to put some form of definition that we can all agree to or look at and say, you know, yeah, okay, yeah, we all agree with this, right? This feels right. But I think, um, I agree with you, Sina, like it's not, it's not linear. Um, you might feel that there's a certain progression, but it's not so much A to B. I think it, for me, it's more like a roller coaster where you are moving forward. I think I would, I would definitely acknowledge that. Like I think about approximately seven months later, I would say that we have or we are moving forward, but there are loops in between. Imagine that roller coaster where instead of just going ahead, you actually just take a loop where you also go upside down and you fear falling uh, really bad. And then you are back parallel to the ground and you move forward, but then comes another loop. And then again, you're moving forward and then comes another loop. I think that's how that's how I experience it. I think it may look like it's linear from the outside, but I can promise you it's not. <laughs> yeah, I believe it's a very accurate mm. uh, description of uh, of how grief feels like. And um, so now when close to seven months have passed, how are you feeling now? I think like I just said with my last previous response, I do experience those loops and that roller coaster. But I have to admit that I do find like somehow loss and pain of this magnitude can also be a motivator. <laughs> like nothing else sometimes can motivate you like pain can. It has so much power. And I think I do acknowledge that pain because I think it has helped me to throw away a lot of things that were inside me that did not serve me anymore. And things became so much more clearer. And it's almost like you kind of are forced to get rid of your bullshit because there's no room for it anymore inside. It's just not possible. Like you don't have room to entertain anything that is just there without without a real purpose. And I think in that sense, you definitely, um, you definitely move, see yourself moving forward. There has, there has been so much transformation. There has been so much enormous growth or learning. Uh, I think a good friend also called it almost like a rebirth. And I, I actually feel like that, that it's a, and I, I love that Anna used that example again as well in her story in the beginning, that it does really feel like a rebirth. So I would say it is progression. I do experience joy. I do experience inspiration. I do experience wanting to use the rest of my life and, you know, feeling very inspired by the number of things I want to do. And I attribute it so much to my son because I keep feeling that, you know, it's like it's like he's inspiring me so much for this change. He's such a big reason behind this change. And it's like he is transforming me in ways I couldn't imagine possible. 
And I can see that it's the same thing that's happening with my husband as well. That said, I think while it feels like probably to the outside world, it feels like we are so present at our work, our job, we are performing, we are doing things. When we meet people, we probably smile. We have the same energy. We have the same love. It does not look like we are in the black hole or it does not look like, you know, we are pouring tears day and night. But I can also feel a little bit of attention there <laughs> because I think, like I said, you know, one is that you are learning that you can never have what you have lost come back. And at the same time, you find this reason to make the rest of your own life meaningful and rich. And I notice that tension because it's really hard to let go. <laughs> it is. It seriously is. No matter how inspired and motivated you feel to keep going forward, it is incredibly hard to let go. And it's very weird because it's like people might think that you are beginning to be okay, but you don't want them to feel that you're okay because you're not. They may not see it. They may not get that from you. But um, and I think I feel that that's like a little tension where, you know, people want to think that, oh, finally, they're beginning to move on. You know, OK, now we can put this behind all right, slowly things are changing and everything will be fine. They'll be just as, just back to where they are. It, it's really hard. Uh, it, I think it's, we, we will move forward, uh, but it'll be, it's not in a way where we can leave what has happened behind us. It will, it is just like I said, it's, it's about learning, learning to live with it, learning to make it a part of us and still move forward in life. And it's such a big difference. Uh, because I think everybody in, who is in grief would probably agree with me that we all hate the word moving on. Uh, and I think it was on this TED talk, um, where the TED talk is called moving forward in grief and instead of moving on. And I just resonated with that so much that yes, you will see us for move forward in life. And I'm very grateful that me, Arun and my family, uh, is having so much help and support uh, to help us do that. Uh, but at the same time, that does not mean we have moved on, but we have definitely moved forward. Yeah, uh, that was precisely what I wanted to ask you about. What's the difference between moving on mm. and moving forward? So is that, does it feel like moving on is like needing to leave something behind, like neglected or... What would be the main difference for you between moving on and moving forward? I think it's again about perception of words, right? But moving on feels like, um, feels like, yeah, leaving, leaving that behind or making it feel like, oh, that's just a thing of the past. And now we have to kind of wrap it nicely, put it safely in a safe place in your wardrobe. And then you have to move on with your life. It almost feels a bit like I'm talking about a breakup in a relationship. But I think with, uh, even with that, I mean, we don't, we, we all learn to leave behind the, the difficult things that happen with us and we somehow have to because life goes on. That's just how the truth is, right? So no matter how I'll keep fighting, I can't fight the fact that life will go on. But I think the difference, <coughs> difference is that Moving forward means learning to move forward in life, continuing to find meaning, joy, purpose in life without having to ignore or neglect or not acknowledge what happened. I think for me, 
personally that's important and it's hard like believe me it's really hard to find how to do, how does one do that like acknowledge this big thing life changing enormous thing experience human experience that anyone can go through and yet move like you know move ahead and move forward in life continue finding new things purposes and reasons to exist and i think it's hard uh, there's no easy answer to that there's no easy answer to that one has to learn how to do that and i think for me that's the process of grief yeah thank you for sharing that i was just wondering like knowing that you also have the experience marta like what grief is to you yeah i uh, i would say that i really loved how you put it that we can experience it in so many ways and my experience with grief has been that it can feel it definitely felt excruciating i think that's the word that um, when you lose someone very close to your heart it can like this is the word excruciating pain um and then reaction to it how we kind of like respond to this pain definitely my reaction to uh, losing my father was to take the role of a savior and take care of my family and then like locking it off and uh, you know we have different reactions and sometimes we are not ready to face something and uh, definitely it's a different experience to lose a parent than to lose your baby it is a different type of uh, experience and then there are different circumstances um, in which you might be forced into not being able to face your grief if you have other children if you yeah. have yeah Absolutely. if you have stuff you might be like you know pushed into uh, you know like this situation where you might try to lock uh, lock it out i don't think that you ever really can but it can feel like you have succeeded in some way and it definitely felt for a good decade for me this way that i um i locked quite a lot of grief away and that was something that with conscious healing i uh, i started opening it up but it is not like it disappeared completely it was coming out as a disease so you can think you oh it's it's a matter of the past i have moved on or whatever but then it to me it has been coming as physical pain physical disease a lot of headaches and problems with my stomach and so on so it was only when i start when i you know started to be ready to experience that grief that i could actually um work through it is one way to put it you don't i do resonate with you actually don't work through it it's it's an experience you can be in and allow it maybe and accept it as a part of your life and um make it an a fully acceptable part of yourself and of your experience because any form of neglecting or locking away or leaving behind or something it's it's like you cannot leave it behind because you're energetically connected with it so the more you try to leave it behind the more you'll be dragging it along so yeah that that would be from my experience yeah 
Thank you. No, I was just curious because it is so different how we how we experience it or how um I don't know if ready is the right word, but when when we are ready to to face it and be with it and sometimes we're forced uh forced to be with it and I also like during this uh lockdown uh like because often oh, yeah. you have like a the normality for many people can come in oh but I'm going at least I'm going back to work so I have a break in some way like how yeah. I know you touched upon it with the garden but yeah I think um, we are in such such uh, crazy times and I think coming I would definitely uh, reinforce the need for a routine I think me and my husband would have really really uh, slipped on our way if we did not stick to a simple thing as routine like you know wake up at the right time have your meals at the right time and i think we are also very fortunate to be here in denmark where the situation is not as crazy or difficult and hard as it is in many other places in the world and i just want to acknowledge uh that actually we have been in a much better place to deal with it like if i was just going through this uh back home uh in india where we come from <clears throat> right now with the sufferings and you know the challenges that everyday people are having over there with work and life and just everyday things uh it would have been so harder so much harder and i think over here we we kind of had the space and quiet when we needed it but we also did not feel that our friends or work and colleagues were completely out of our reach So in that sense I think we have been in a good place and I'm definitely very grateful uh, for that aspect because I know that if those dynamics were not the way they are right now it would have been very hard at least practically it would have been very hard uh, for us to cope or continue with this yeah So the way I see you Fatima moving through uh, this experience is really moving through your heart open and every time you have been uh into this place where the roller coaster makes mm. this upside down turn you are so courageous to open your heart and i remember for example when you were coming back to work you were worried how do you come back how do yes. you talk to people uh after something like this and i saw your this courage of mm. actually but i will let you t- let you say it. how did you cope with coming back to work and meeting your colleagues yeah. bigger you know bigger group because obviously yeah. closest colleagues they knew yeah and you have communicated with but the the, the bigger group yeah i think this is just such an interesting subject to touch overall because um you know you are visibly pregnant it's not a disease that you can like you know it's not something that you can hide or that's something and there's a lot of people who would know about what happened with you uh and they would just ask you right how's the baby <laughs> like i would do that if i met that person so i think it took us a lot of time to learn how to respond to that conversation in a hardware store <laughs> at a grocery mm-hmm. store <laughs> in the middle of the shopping street um how would you answer that question but That is one people who did not know second people who did know 
And I think that's also very hard for them to approach because in the beginning, actually, we we asked for space and time uh, just because we needed it. You just that that space is so unbearable that you really appreciate all the love and thoughts and we we wanted to receive it. But I think at least the people we know, we, they were amazingly understanding of that space that we needed in the beginning. But then when we were ready to open up and actually go talk, it w- I can appreciate that it was also very confusing for people because, you know, you always have questions like, can I bring this up? Or when I meet this person the first time, how should I bring this subject up? Would they feel offended if I don't talk about it? Would they feel uncomfortable if I talk about it? What? How would I feel if I say something that brings them to tears? And I think me and my husband just decided that that, that whole bubble is going to be so hard for us to break in that let's just go forward and then talk about where we are now and what has happened because it's going to be impossible and people will just keep guessing because if I put myself in their situation, I wouldn't know what to tell somebody who's been through what I have. So at least in work context, and I really, I really do give credit to my workplace who kind of acknowledged this need that we had and they created these beautiful spaces for us to have conversations with our respective colleagues as many as we could. And we just told them everything about what we have been through, how we have survived, where we are right now, what's okay for them to ask. Uh, but also things like, hey, if, you know, let's say another colleague just had a baby and they bring their baby to office, you know, because they would have questions like, how would, how would Fatima feel? How would Arun feel if we do that? And we just had to tell them, please don't hold back from doing that. But if you see tears in our eyes, please know that it's not you who made us feel that way. It's just love for our son. And I think just saying this aloud made people feel so much more comfortable (laughs) to come to us and talk to us and approach us. Or at least that first day that I physically went back into office didn't feel like an enormously difficult day. Um. Even, and of course, like, you know, we're going through strange times and a lot of us have found like some strange benefits from this situation. But one of the benefits was that even though I work with a big company, I didn't have to face that many people on a day. I had time to like step by step take small and meaningful conversations. But at the same time, I also have to gauge and kind of respect because some people who have probably gone through this, do like coming to me and talking to me. And I also see like a reflection of their pain that they kind of find peace in coming and talking to me about. And that has been an amazing, beautiful experience. But also respect for those for whom it's just too painful to encounter this. And do I feel bad for them? Not really, because I just respect where they are and their journey with this. You know, I don't feel bad. If somebody's not asked me how I am or how I feel and all of that. But I've realized that at least where it matters, it has helped me to be more open than to make people keep guessing. So just as an example, when I go back for work, I have an amazing set of team and colleagues where I have agreed with them that if I'm not okay on a certain day, if I'm just having a hard day, I'll just let them know. And I think that makes them feel better (laughs) on the days that I'm cracking and I'm just you know, moving forward, I'm very present and I'm asking questions. They don't have to worry 
if I'm faking it, if I'm pretending, if I'm pushing too much, just because they know that there are days when I take time off. And I just, again, none of us know how to deal with these things, but I find that one very practical thing to do to be an amazing way of actually working around this. Okay. Thank you so much for sharing because I think many people really don't know how yeah. to find themselves in this situation. And it's so individual. It's yeah. difficult to give one prescription of what is okay to say and what is not okay to say. I completely and, agree yeah, with that. So yeah. thank you so much to share uh, for sharing your perspective. Uh, also would like to acknowledge you for having that open heart and courage to approach it in this way. And I would like to move on to another topic uh, because as time goes by, uh, one thing that you've mentioned when uh, when we were talking, preparing for that show mm. was about forgetting. Mm. Yes. Yeah. So how do you feel for yourself, this fear around forgetting? How does it feel now to you? Um, I think it came or it came to me as panic that, for example, on the milestone where Kyla would have turned six months, I just had this crazy panic that that he'll be forgotten because, you know, I can't share people, baby pictures. It hit me a lot that my family had not had a chance to even meet him. Like, you know, there's so many people who have not really witnessed him or witnessed his funeral. And I just felt that as time passes, people will forget that he was here and he arrived. And I think I it was important that on that day that I say this out aloud, <laughs> just to kind of, you know, one, because it, it just felt like a need that I have to remind people that my son was here and I will not let him be forgotten. You know, I was just like, I'm not going to let, let him be forgotten. Um, and I think, of course, there came like a lot of assurance on that. But I think, of course, that was like that milestone. It was an extremely emotional loop again that day. And I think now that I look, reflect, I'm convinced that he cannot be forgotten. And um, as much as possible, me and Arun will keep him alive through us. There is no absolutely no doubts about it. Uh, even though it's still something that matters to me, I think I can tell that I feel less panic or less out of it feels less out of control because in many ways I feel it's impossible for him to be because the fact is he did exist so whether anybody acknowledges or not the truth is he was here he is here and that truth is bigger than who acknowledges or not in that sense and I understand there's a lot of uh, emotional need in making sure he's not forgotten, that he's not acknowledged. Um, but I know that at least personally, just through how we are as humans and what what me and Arun and also to a great extent our family becomes after this loss would keep him present, respectively. You've also shared with me a beautiful way for you to keep him present with you forever. Uh, would you uh, be open to sharing that <laughs> with uh, with others as well? Yeah. Um, so I have decided to get a tattoo on my hand in his memory 
And like I mentioned right in the beginning that we had, we called him, or my husband, I don't know for what reason, but it just feels absolutely right now, named him Bumblebee while he was in the womb. So a lot of the beautiful memories that we had with him was with him being a bumblebee. So I have decided to get a tattoo of a bunch of flowers uh, with him. And I just felt like I have to do this. And I, and you know, my analytical brain, my part of me could tell, this is just so silly. Like, what are you going to get out of getting some ink on your body? Like, what does that do? Like, what does that change? <laughs> like, it doesn't change. It doesn't change anything. Like, you know, it just feels so silly. But I think it is so, it is so thoughtful that you bring this question now because I think now I understand why I want that tattoo so badly. I think it's my, one way of manifesting his presence. It's just one small, small, tiny, silly, stupid, whatever way you call it, way of acknowledging his presence. And the reason I decided to have him on my hand is because I think my hand also represents my action. And um, he's going to influence and be a big part of who I am. And everything I do in this human life uh that would be a big part of it like there's no doubts about that and i think having that on my hand would just symbolize symbolize that uh symbolize that for me but i i can already see like the, everybody does this in so many different ways my husband does something similar but he has a whole different way of doing it but this just felt like again i'm an artist and a designer so i can see where the influence comes from <laughs> there's no but i think again this is where each of us We'll somehow find our way to make that happen. And it's amazing how sometimes that has to be a silly, silly thing as putting ink on your body. Well, to me, it sounds like a beautiful way to honor his uh, presence and also a very thoughtful uh, st story around it and why hand and how you can honor his yeah. uh, life with your actions. Yeah. Um, I would like to touch upon uh, one subject uh, before we move on to the last part of the show, and that's uh, the role of a father uh, when it comes to grief. You have mentioned that this is one of the things that really yeah. uh, was really important for you to mention. Yeah. And I think, um, yeah, thank you for bringing this up because I realized, you know, we talked about the biology of the woman and the hormones and you know for a woman it's so visible she's pregnant her entire body changes what she goes through changes and people can understand because they see it it's so visible that you can't deny it that this human just went through something enormous you can't you just can't unsee that because you saw that woman growing big in front of your eyes and then delivering a baby, coming back to herself, recovering, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, that's, that's very visible, right? But I, I just really found it important to highlight that it might be that a woman goes through a physical recovery as well, which is extremely hard. I mean, I don't want to under, under, undermine that, but I also recognize that I think in our culture, we unconsciously, again, gen gender stereotype. And it feels like, you know, a father's grief is also just, just, just as hard, just as painful, just as enormous. But I feel that unconsciously, uh, the care, the love 
or their empathy or the understanding of the pain is directed more towards the mother and i can only just speak from my example that psychologically how can the pain be any different for both a mother or a father it's impossible and i can just see how big and deep that pain and that loss is for my husband and i know people mean it in a very very loving and very caring way but a lot of times people i find we hear people telling him oh please take care of her and i think i just wanted to remind people that i think it's very, we completely know where everybody's coming from and i really appreciate it but to not forget what the father is going through even if he did not carry the baby the nine months even if they did not deliver them that does not mean their pain is less huge or less enormous by a big degree because physical pain is one thing but emotional and psychological or spiritual pain uh it's not i mean there's no comparison like it's it's just the same uh and i if for anybody else unfortunately if they are going through this i would just want people to remember this yeah thank you so much i really i really find it a very mm. important very very important reminder that both people need the care and love and uh, there is no comparison when it comes to grief and how it manifests how it feels and how we can move through it how we, we can move forward through it so now i would like to give a word to sina to tell us a little bit uh, about the final mm -hmm. uh, part of moving forward through grief um yes you're thinking of i'm moving closer <laughs> Um, just thank you for underlying, like, the importance of, um, what I also hear beneath that men and emotions. Yes. I, it's so important, um, to, to remember that too. Yeah. And we are moving to the Kintsuji. I thought, <laughs> I know I have, um, yeah. we have a common, uh, yes interest in in this word in this concept mm. and it just felt like um very appropriate to bring it forward today and it's uh it stems from japan like it's an old for those who don't know the word uh kintsuji like kin means gold and suji means joinery so literally to join with gold and it's an old um um old way of um oh i lost the words <laughs> it's an old way of um putting together pottery so instead of like hiding all the cracks you highlight them with gold or with some other um material it can also be silver And so obviously it's um it's an art form but it's also an approach to life. And I feel for me it's been something that can not explain or justify but simply give something to these human experiences and that you exp 
share with us today when we don't have words, when we can't put it into some sort of schedule or grief um, diaphragm um, of of our emotions. Um, I just felt like this concept of we all have something with us. And if we, instead of trying to hide it or trying to be perfect or trying to appear as we um, we are flawless, if we highlight these yeah, things in absolutely. us, like I believe that it can radiate out to others. And I know that might be a very high, um, maybe a fluffy way of explaining it. But from what you shared today and just the way that you have gone th- gone through it, are going through it, are approaching it, when uh, when we dare that, mm. dare to share it, like how much beauty that comes from it, how much light, and, and that is to me what kintsugi means, that when we share that yeah. with each other, like our humanness, our human connections, the things that we don't know how to talk about, how to explain. But when we share them, when with Anna sharing um, her story, no, there's you can't explain it, but simply by sharing it, it it um, yeah it has power. Yeah, I think I can definitely uh, agree with you that I think it's in the owning the brokenness. Yeah. Not why why fake that you're not broken? Like it takes so much more energy <laughs> to fake it than just owning that you're broken. And I at least in my l- humble little experience of this is that I think the more you own how broken you are, how much it has allowed other people who I have known for a long time to actually come up and reveal that they are broken too in some ways. And I realized like actually that's what has made this person that beautiful and so endearing and so relatable all this while. I just didn't know. But I think it's just that one thing. It's not something we we care to share. Yeah. We don't care to share our cracks. Mm, no. There is a song of Leonard Cohen mm. that we, says there's a crack in everything. That's how the lies yeah. get in. No? Yeah. I brought it today. <laughs> <laughs> an amazing song. Yeah. yeah. Because we've been talking about yes. that too. Um, because it's, for me, that's uh, after my experiences losing my mother. And uh, that took me on my journey. And I definitely tried to hold it all together. Mm-hmm. Like I didn't know at all how to, how to deal with, how to deal with her not being here, how to deal with that, those emotions. Um and which lead me into self-sabotage and addiction. At that was there already, just intensified. But that exact line from Leonard Cohen became so important to me in my recovery from addiction. And my mentor at the time asked me, so if you were to describe God, you know, to you, what would it be? And for some reason, light came. Because it was like that exact line, you know, regardless of how dark it is, 
okay, I, I can believe, I can buy into that there, there will always be some sort of light and it doesn't justify at all what has, what has happened or my experience, but, but it's there. And yeah. And thank you, David, because it's, um, you must have read my mind <laughs> because that was, um, I have, I have a special powers. Yes. I like the fact that every time that I talk, Martha jumps on her seat. <laughs> so I should do it more often. Do I jump? Yeah, you go like. <laughs> well, I was scared today. <laughs> Don't be afraid. <laughs> no, I'm not afraid. All right. I feel like it's a right time to wrap up this uh, show. Uh, thank you so much for this. I do believe it's very difficult and very important to talk about. And I'm sure that it will have power to help many people who are going through this and have no words for it, because that's precisely what you have expressed at the beginning. It feels so unbearable, so inhuman, that it's it's very difficult to put words to it. And we do have our minds, and our minds want to explain stuff and put words to it. And as long as it is, you know, with the presence of love and acceptance and mm-hmm. allowing, uh, that's something that can be very helpful to that experience. Thank you, Sina, for uh, your presence, for co-hosting, and uh, I hope you've enjoyed it. I've loved it. Absolutely loved it. And I'm very grateful for being here today and just being in the room with all of you and for Anna too. Thank you, Anna, for sending your story, sharing your story with us. Thank you, Dave, for staying longer with us. Anytime. And uh, if you have any questions, our listeners, if you have any questions, if there is something that you would like to hear more about, please let us know. And thank you so much for today. Yeah, I, I just want to say an, like a very enormous thank you for actually me coming here, being here. And I owe it a lot to these beautiful people, to Martha and Anna, to have this crazy idea, <laughs> to take the courage um, that it takes for these people to be in the same room with me, seeing her, Dave, Martha, and talk about it, Anna, for the message that she sent. But also to anybody who has dared to listen to this <laughs> Up until now, uh, I bet it takes a lot. And I just thank you if you have taken the courage to do this. And I'm guessing there you have a reason inside you if you have done it so far. And I hope uh, that all the thought and effort that these people have put in um, would take you to a different place from here. And I would just like to end on something that um, a friend that I made this morning told me. And I think he quoted someone else where he said that, uh, you know, a lot of times you feel victim of things, uh, that, that you don't have a fault behind those things happening to you, but it is still your responsibility. They're onwards. And I think that friend is nobody other than this man, Dave, in the room <laughs> who I was driving with, but I just wanted to thank him because I think there's no better way of ending this conversation than that, that of course I can keep victimizing myself till the end, until I die. 
about you know why would this happen to me and why should it happen when there was no fault but no matter how much i'll fight and resist and all of that it's still my responsibility what i do with it so thank you dave for that you're welcome now officially bye thank you thank you You are listening to You've Got 5 Options radio show where we hopefully convinced you that 5 indeed is a magic number. To catch up with our previous programs, apply to be our guest, send us your life challenge, or just to see how do we really look like, visit our website, the5options.com. We hope you enjoyed this episode and that you will come for more. That's all folks. <laughs>